If you're joining us for the first time, St. Clair, we're in a series called Recover Your Life. And that's been looking uh, at the words of Jesus that are found in the message translation of Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew 11, it says, Jesus says, come to me, or you are weary and burdened. Learn from me and you will actually learn to recover your life. We believe that there are practices from the life of Jesus that help shape us and form us to be his people. At St. Clair, we based our community around five different practices. They are hospitality, generosity, Sabbath, prayer and scripture. And over the last few weeks, if you've been with us, we've been looking at certain practices. We've looked so far at generosity, hospitality and Sabbath. And this morning, we're actually going to be looking at the practice of prayer. If you've been any part of St. Clair for even a small period of time or right from the beginning, uh, we're a church plant that's around uh, six to seven years old. At the moment, prayer has been central to who we are as a community. And if you're joining us, when we actually, when COVID hit and we had to meet in each other's homes, we were actually in a series on prayer. And I would encourage you, uh, if you've not done it, or even if you have listened to it before, to go back and listen to some of the messages uh, on prayer. Dave McGee gave the most beautiful uh, sermon on prayer in relation to the Lord's Prayer. And Andy Groon, who's part of our community and connected to the Greater Ontario House of Prayer, gave a beautiful uh, message on how we can actually learn to pray. And so prayer is actually central to who we are. But I want to say, as St. Clair thinks about prayer, we don't just want to be a community that prays. We actually want to create a culture of prayer. See, we're not just praying and talking about prayer because we're in the midst of COVID. When we emerge from this season as a church, we want to be a community that is focused on prayer. As we talk about prayer this morning, as we think about prayer, I've been really encouraged by some of the things I've been hearing from our community. I know Dave sent out a prayer groups guide that will help people gather in groups to pray together. And I know some people on their own initiative just grabbed that prayer guide and started to ask others who would pray with them. I also know we've been receiving answers to prayer from our community So I'm really encouraged by those things. But again, I want to encourage us this morning to think about what it means to be a community that prays. I don't want to guilt us this morning, but I actually want to invite us in new ways to think about how important prayer is. It's interesting to me that the book of Acts opens with the people of God who will be the church in a prayer meeting. Over the last week, I've been reading through the book of Acts, and in many ways, what's terrifying to me is how prayer appears in every single chapter. It's kind of the underlying thread throughout the book of Acts. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus at one point gets really angry. If you grew up in Sunday school, you love that story because Jesus gets mad. He goes into the temple. He turns over the table. He gets rid of all the money changers and those people in the temple who are selling certain things. And this is what Jesus says. My father's house, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know the rest, will be a house of prayer. I'm going to put Matt's paraphrase on that. This place, this temple has become everything but a house of prayer. If we're honest, 
We know prayer is important. Intellectually, we can say, yes, we should pray. And even the often response uh, when we're younger is, well, we should pray because that's the right thing to do. But this week, I've been wrestling in my own life with how important I actually think prayer is. And do I actually believe prayer makes a difference? Last week, uh, I was online on social media, which is a dangerous thing to do. But I noticed a post from my friend who's a pastor. And he said that um, he was looking at someone else's post saying, is the only thing the church doing during this time of COVID trying to get their live stream perfected? And in many ways, I didn't necessarily disagree with that post. I think the danger for this church in this season is just to think as long as we get our live stream working, that's all that matters. I think there's a call of God on God's people to actually be involved in what's happening in the world and grieve and lament deeply. But what was interesting when I listened to the thread and was reading all about it, there was almost an emphasis on we should be doing more. And someone talked about prayer as if prayer was the only thing the church was doing. Eugene Peterson wrote that he asked the church, do we think that prayer is actually important? The problem is we don't think prayer is productive. We think we should be doing lots of other things, but the last resort is usually prayer. See, prayer is multifaceted, and I don't have time to talk about all the various ways that we pray. In terms of my journey with prayer, I've definitely learned about different ways of praying. In this last season, silence and uh, contemplative prayer has been really important. But I want to say we need a robust understanding of what prayer actually is. I think at times we can moralize certain ways of praying, like we pray this way and that's the right way. But I think to be the people of God, we need a deeper understanding of prayer across the different streams. And this morning, when we think about prayer, I actually want to talk about prayer as intimacy and prayer as intercession. As I was praying this week, which is uh, seemed appropriate, the passage that kept coming to mind was Exodus chapter 3. And as I was praying and thinking about you, St. Clair, this morning's message may not be the most technical message, but it's just a message from my heart to yours to encourage us to be a people of prayer. So we have the scripture. We can look at that together. As Will read, the background of Exodus chapter 3 unsurprisingly starts in Exodus 2 with God's kind of with a bit of a biography about Moses and his life. But the end of Exodus 2 says this in verse 24, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Verse 23 says that Israel had been crying out because they're enslaved in Egypt. And we're going to be looking at intercession, but throughout the scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, we see over and over when God's people are in a place of distress or they're oppressed or they see the world is not going as planned, they actually cry out to God. And when we flip over the page, or over the chapter, we notice that Moses, who has fled from Egypt, if we know a bit of the backstory, Moses is growing up in Pharaoh's palace. We assume at this point Moses is going to be part of Pharaoh's kingdom and he's going to be a ruler in the empire of Egypt. 
And then one day he sees a slave driver actually beating up one of his fellow Israelites. So Moses kills this man and he thinks no one has seen him. He realizes people have found this out. And so Moses actually flees. And so there's this movement from Moses thinking he's on this great trajectory to now, as we turn the page, being in the middle of the desert, looking after sheep for his father-in-law. Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Moses is running away from everyone and from God. And he finds himself in the wilderness where he thinks no one else will find him. What we realize from the scripture is God has amazing vision. His peripheral vision seems to be um, better than anyone else's because God notices Moses even when Moses thinks he's escaped from God's sight. And what's interesting is the desert is a place of forming Moses to be the person God is going to use. Moses is in the desert, scholars say, for 40 years looking after the sheep. Maybe for some of us, we feel like we're running away from God and we're hoping that God won't see us. But God is always looking out for us. And even in Moses's failure and the midst of Moses's pain, God is still at work. It seems to me God works sometimes even more in our pain than he does in our success. And we see the movement here. It's almost like Moses, I was trying to think of a modern example, has moved from the jet setting uh, high profile of New York City. And now he's a, he's a janitor working in a Dollarama in rural Ontario, if they have Dollaramas in rural Ontario. But he's literally had this move. And at this point, it feels like he's at the point of failure. And it's at this moment, God speaks and calls him back. The story says Moses is out one day looking after the sheep. And this, we read it postscript so we know what's happening. But to Moses, this is just a regular day doing what he always does. And yet in this place, God speaks to him. Verse two, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. A lot of people believe that Moses would have seen bushes burning up in the desert because they would have maybe spontaneously combusted. So for Moses to see a bush burning would not be unusual. What is unusual to Moses is this bush is not burning up completely. Verse three. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why this bush does not burn up. Moses takes a moment to pay attention. See, I think prayer always starts with attention. There's a famous quote that I always read from Lawrence Kushner, which is one of my favorite about this scripture. But I've read it so many times, but I actually found this part of a poem from Elizabeth Barrett Browning that I think emphasizes this point of attention beautifully. It says this, Earth's crammed with heaven. And every common bush a fire with God. But only he or she who sees 
takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Only he or she who sees takes off their shoes. See, Moses goes over to the bush and God calls from the bush to Moses. Verse four, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called from within the bush, Moses, Moses. See, God calls Moses by name because when we think about prayer, prayer always starts with relationship. Now, that might seem very obvious to us, but in my life, that's the thing I forget the most. See, for me, prayer becomes very functional and prayer is always asking God what I want him to do for me. But for God, prayer always starts with his moving towards us and calling us to a place of intimacy. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he starts out not by saying, ask God for something. He says this, we say to God, our father. It always starts with relationship. And yet at times in my own life, God becomes almost like the divine genie or even the spiritual vending machine. If I just put the right prayer coin in the slot, the candy will drop. And this time I felt like I put the wrong coin in, so the wrong candy dropped out. And yet we believe God has called prayer to be a place of relationship and intimacy. Even when the scripture opens in the uh, first chapter of Genesis, it says God creates humankind in his image and then calls them to steward creation. But when we read about God's relationship with Adam, it talks about God walking in the cool of the day with Adam. He is just in relationship with him because he loves him. Later on, we see the story of Moses in Exodus. And in Exodus 33, it says God speaks to Moses as someone would with a friend. See, above everything else, Moses is known as a friend of God. If there's ever an epitaph we want for our life, it should be that. We could do lots of things in our life, but what if we were known as friends of God? There's something important that I've learned over the last few years of my journey with God in the place of prayer. And it is this. The work God wants to do in the world always starts with the work God wants to do in us. I'll say that again. The work God wants to do in the world through us always starts with the work God wants to do in us. See, when we read the story of Exodus, what we realise is it's God's story with Israel, but it's also so much God's story with Moses. Andrew Murray, uh, the famous South African missionary, says, um, God always wants to do a work through us, but so few people surrender themselves for the work God wants to do in them. I want to pause here for a moment And as we think about Moses and the fact he's fled, he's in the middle of the desert, he's looking after the sheep, and maybe he feels like he's been forgotten about. I want to say here for a moment, kind of a bit of a pastoral word for us, that I believe in this moment, as the church is spread and dispersed and scattered, the day we're living in is a day of mobilizing the body of Christ like never before. I was talking to Dave Arnold this week and saying, I believe God is raising up new leaders from all over the body of Christ. But here's what's important. It is no longer the day of the expert. It's the day of the available and the obedient 
See, the most important thing that God is looking for is people who know him, who are intimate with Jesus. I was listening to a podcast of an interview uh, with an experienced leader this week. And it was interesting because this leader said, it feels like we're in a day in the Western church where God has stripped away all these platforms, all these big ministries, all these things that we've built. And then he said this, here's what's left, spiritual authority. Maybe I'd say like this, all that's left is us and our relationship with Jesus. There's an interesting verse in Acts where it says the Pharisees haul the disciples before them to try them and question them. And this is what it says. Noticing they were unschooled, ordinary fishermen, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, I think there's people in our St. Clair community who've maybe on the sidelines, maybe been on the periphery. And Jesus, during this COVID season, has just called you back to himself And he's placed a fire within you. And in this next season, he is asking you to step forward and step into the things he has for you. I've said for many years at St. Clair, the clergy have done way too much work. The clergy have done way too much of the ministry and church has been come and watch. And in this season, I believe God is sending people like never before, not just to do ministry in the church, but actually to enter into his hope for the world. As I think about prayer, one of the things that often in my life stops me in my walk with God in relation to prayer is actually, do I believe who God says he is? See, what we believe about God shapes what we think about prayer. A.W. Tozer says, what we think about God is the most important question that we can ask. See, If my children thought that I was the kind of dad who was distant, far off, a harsh taskmaster, temperamental and absent from when things matter most, that will change how they interact with me. Please don't ask them as well if I'm any of those things. But what we see in these few verses is who God is in his character. This is what verse seven says. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land and into a good and spacious place, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 10, so now go, I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Here's what we notice about God. God calls Moses by name. He's relational. It says he's heard the suffering of his people. It says God has heard them crying out. It says God cares about their suffering. It says God is coming down and coming close. It says God is now inviting Moses to join him in what he's doing in the world. And God is leading his people to a place of wholeness. That is who God is. And that's what we learn when we understand that prayer is about intimacy. But prayer is also, I believe, about intercession. See, the background to this story of Moses is that God's people have been crying out in their slavery in Egypt. 
See, God is always inviting his people first to be with him, but then to pray and join him in what he's doing in the world. I love Dallas Willard. He says prayer is talking to God about what we're going to do together. And when we think about the word intercession, it's basically translated and its meaning is this. It means to petition a king. And so when we come before God, we're actually petitioning him and asking him to change the way the world is. And what we see throughout the whole of the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, is over and over God's people crying out and asking God to act in the world. A lot of people call this contending prayer. Uh, We'll talk about that as intercessory prayer this morning. But as I looked at the scripture, what was amazing was I didn't have as I have pages and pages of scripture references to when God's people had cried out and asked him to move. What we see throughout the Old Testament is prayer and fasting are tied together. So when you look at prayer and God's people crying out and also look at fasting, there are so many scriptures related to this. I just have a few for you this morning and I can send these out, but I would encourage you to go and look for that yourselves. Exodus 2, as I read, and Exodus chapter 20, Judges chapter 3, Second Chronicles 7, Psalm 61, Nehemiah chapter 1. We know that story of Nehemiah just weeping and fasting and praying when he sees Jerusalem has been burnt to the ground. Amos chapter 7, Joel chapter 2. And in fact, Joel chapter 1 starts out with God calling his people to fast and to pray. Jeremiah 29, we know those verses where it says, seek the prosperity of the city, go and plant gardens, live and inhabit the city. But God says, pray for the peace of the city. And then we turn into the New Testament and we see the story of Anna of the temple in Luke 2. And I love that story. It says she's been fasting and praying every day at the temple, waiting and longing for the Messiah to come. See, when we look at the life of Jesus, often we highlight the fact Jesus pulled, uh, kind of went away to lonely places to pray. When we look at the life of Jesus, we often notice that he went aside to deserted places to spend time with the Father. And so we highlight the nature of Jesus' prayer, which is silence and solitude. And that is totally true. We see that over and over. But we also notice Jesus had a different side to his prayer life. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of reverent submission. So we see Jesus taking time in solitude and silence, but we also see Jesus crying out and asking the Father to move and to act. When we pray, God moves. That is actually an important thread of the scripture. We live in the Western world, and so we've just bought in, and myself included, to us a sense of cynicism and even disappointment where we think God just doesn't move when we pray. And so even in my prayer life, I was convicted this week that it can become very vague and almost apologetic. Well, God, if maybe you'd like to, if you kind of would like, but maybe you don't want to, if you want to, it'd be great. But I know you're really busy with other things. But if you'd like to do something, God, I would love you to come and move. 
But what we notice in the scripture is when God's people pray, particularly in the story of Moses, they are so bold and audacious when they pray. It's really interesting to me that in Exodus 32, and I don't have time to go into that story this morning, Moses is interacting with God. And in Exodus 32, verse 14, it almost alludes to the fact, and I think it says that God in his interaction with Moses, God changes his mind when Moses talks to him. See, we believe that when we pray, God actually moves in human history. Sky Jahani says this, we are not merely passive set pieces in a prearranged cosmic drama, but we're active participants with God in the writing, directing, design and action that unfolds. Prayer, therefore, is much more than asking God for this or that outcome. It is drawing into communion with him and there taking up our privileged role as his people in prayer. We're invited to join him in directing the course of the world. See, when we pray, Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here is what Jesus is saying. The primary way the kingdom is ushered into the world is through prayer. If we're really honest, that's actually not what we think. We think it's through hard work or better preaching or justice or activism or even politics. But Jesus says the starting price is prayer. And a quote, I'm going to share this quote with you from Walter Wink. And uh, let's just sit with this for a moment because this is a really profound quote. This is what he says. Intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. Intercession visualizes an alternative future to the one apparently fated by the momentum of current forces. Prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be into the suffocating atmosphere of the present. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. Even a small number of people firmly committed to the new inevitability on what they have fixed their imaginations can decisively affect the shape the future takes. These shapers of the future are the intercessors. See, what Walter Wink is saying is when we pray, something happens and we join God in what he is doing in the world. I do want to say prayer will always lead us into action for those people listening this morning saying it's not just about prayer. It's not. It will always lead us into doing something. See, when we pray, we know who God is. We understand his heart and then he will always send us into the world. The story of Exodus is that story. God's people cry out. God hears them and he says, Moses, you need to go. What I love about the scripture is prayer is always tied to mission. We don't just pray passively. We're always joining God in what he's doing. I shared this at True City. I think mission without prayer can just be activism, but also prayer without mission could end up being spiritual narcissism. They always go together. And I want to say for St. Clair, we've always been a prayer, a church community who care about the most vulnerable and the broken in our city. And more than ever before, God's heart for the poor and those who've historically been marginalized should 
break our hearts as we pray and ask the question, how do we best respond to this? I'm going to close my message and I just have a couple of pastoral thoughts as I close when I think about prayer. Most of us, when we struggle with prayer, it's because we've been disappointed in prayer. You'll probably ask me, Matt, well, I know you're calling us to pray, but what about unanswered prayer? And I actually have a message on unanswered prayer that I was going to preach in the prayer series. And I'd love to share sometime because that's been the story of my life, too, where I've prayed and I've just not seen God answer. I've had huge disappointment in my life through unanswered prayer. But if I was really honest, as I was thinking about this week, unanswered prayer is probably not as much of a problem in my life as unasked prayer. I think often maybe I give up in prayer or I pray about something and it doesn't happen immediately. And so I just stop praying. But what we see is God continually saying to his people, keep asking. In Luke 11, where Jesus tells a story, uh, when Jesus talks about the Lord's Prayer, he shares this really funny story afterwards. And in the middle of that, Jesus uses the phrase shameless audacity. That's Luke 11, verse 8, about the man who goes to his neighbor's house and keeps knocking and asking. And it's my prayer that as a community, we would have shameless audacity when we come to God in prayer. At Christmas, my children have shameless audacity when they come and ask me for stuff. My other prayer, pastorally, is that we would pray way more than we complain about the way the world is. It's also my prayer that we would pray more, myself included, than we talk about all the political struggles that we're going through. I enjoy political conversation. It's something I'm really passionate about. But this week, I thought about how I think and talk way more about certain leaders south of the border, and I'm not talking about the president of Ecuador, more than I talk and think about prayer. And I realise it's so easy for me to criticise more than come before God in prayer. I'm going to close in prayer this morning. But I'm just going to invite you, St. Clair, to think about how Jesus may be inviting you to be a person of prayer. Is he calling you deeper this week and over the next few weeks into this intimacy of relationship with him? Or is he actually putting a fire within you of intercession to pray for the world? I think that'll always involve other people of asking people to join with you in prayer. But as Walter Wink says, History belongs to the intercessors. May we pray for God's kingdom to come and a new world to come into being. Let's pray together. Jesus, we hear your call to prayer this morning. And if we're honest, we have lots of thoughts and uh, maybe even disappointments in prayer, things that can stop us from praying. But we, would we in a new day be invited deeper into understanding what prayer is? Would you burn afresh in our hearts this morning the importance of prayer and how you're calling St. Clair to be a community of prayer? Would we remember that when we pray, we're being invited to join you in what you're doing in the world? God, give us a fresh heart for intercession. 
Would we be known as a community that prays? Jesus, we long that your kingdom would come and your will be done in Hamilton as it is, as it is in heaven. Stir and birth within us a heart of prayer again. In Jesus' name, amen.